Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Graham Tenick, the founder and chief legacy maker at Tenick Accountants. Before founding his own company, Graham worked in a small practice and eventually moved to senior roles at PwC and then public sector organisations. Graham founded Tenick Accountants to help businesses scale and deal with their finances in an understandable way. As a fellow and member of the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants, Graham has vast experience in working with both global corporates and high-growth startups. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, Graham Tenick. Tell me about you, Graham. What, how, have, how have you created this uh, pretty amazing little company of yours and what was your path to accounting? <laughs> my path to accounting was not the stereotypical one. So my dad actually had a forklift truck company. So he uh, bought and sold forklifts. So I was, I, brought, I was brought up in a business background, I'd say, um, a more specific an engineering background. So from a very young age, I wanted to be a businessman. I never wanted to be an accountant. I just wanted to be a businessman. But I didn't know what doing. So that started from um, my dad would have like the branded rulers uh, with his company name on. So I'd get those. He'd give them to me. I'd take them into school and I'd sell them. Um, so <laughs> sell I, rulers to the kids. Yeah, yeah I'd sell rulers. I'd sell stationery to the kids at school. So I'd make a point of doing that. And that was my first business venture. The teachers then got wind of it and see I was making too much money. So they then just told us I couldn't do that anymore. So I had to find uh, other means. Infinity margin on those rulers, oh, I right? Oh, great margin. <laughs> I did really well. But yeah, so I started my business venture in the schoolyard. Now, later years, I was like, I can't just be a businessman. I need to know what I want to do. So I was offered the opportunity to go into the family business, but I didn't have the same passion around engineering as what my dad did. Now, to throw an extra spanner in the works, my name's Graham James Tenick. My dad's name's Graham John Tenick. So we're both Graham J. Tenick. And I just thought, right, you've got the passion for engineering, but I want to make a name in my own right. We've already got the same name. I, I want to make my name in my own right. So I was like, right, just we'll be in the house. And my mom would shout, Graham. And again, by the tone, you could understand, is this good or is it bad? If it's bad, neither would answer. If it was good, like, would both answer? So, yeah, 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 what, what, what is it? What is it? So I wanted Graham to kind of, John, Graham James. Exactly. Yeah. But even the post, it was always GG Tenix. Like, well, don't know. So I thought, right, what do I do? And honestly, wasn't sure. So I kind of stumbled into accountancy a little bit. And I just thought, right, actually, you know what it is? It's a good thing to get qualified in. So I did an accountancy degree and then worked in an accountancy firm. I thought, actually, this isn't actually quite so bad in terms of finding what I ultimately want to do. I then started really enjoying the accountancy, but I always wanted my own accountancy business. So I worked in a small firm. There was about 10, 12 staff. Um, did that for five and a half years, but there was no opportunity to become partner. So I thought, I need to move on. I then went to work for PricewaterhouseCoopers. Again, I thought it was good for the CV. Never wanted to be there long term, but I just wanted the name. I then thought I'd maybe go to a company and be like a senior finance officer there. But there was nothing around the northeast at a good level, so I went into the, the local government. And towards the tail end there, I was like the interim finance director. But it was a brilliant, brilliant exposure. It was things such as I managed to um, gross budget of £134 million, did a 30-year business plan for 8,516 houses, managed several financial projects. It was really good exposure. But I've done about the US government, but if it's anything like the UK government, it's corrupt. I'm going to just say, 
the lies and bullshit as just not something I could stand by and watch for too long. I just thought, oh, no, sod this. So back in 2012, I thought... I think that's what the people said yesterday, didn't they? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. It was just like enough of this. Did you see what Hugh Grant did to the interviews? You know, all, all the, the MPs were were being interviewed about the, you know, the pending and then post-disaster. And, you know, the the protesters outside Parliament at the moment for, you know, a couple of different things, they had speakers. And so Hugh Grant tweeted at them and said, you know, can you play the the Benny Hill tune <laughs> over your speakers? And so if you look at the interviews from the MPs yesterday, they've all got the Benny Hill tune going on in the background. <laughs> <laughs> While they do the, the this is a disaster interview. <laughs> oh, that's pretty, I'll have to have a look at that. It's one of Hugh Grant's best ever comedy moments, I think, and he wasn't even there. <laughs> do you like Only Fools and Horses? Only Fools and Horses. Oh, God, it's so long ago. Oh, well, well there's an episode in that, and they've repeated that one in the context of um, Boris. But if it's been a long, since you've, long time since you've watched it, you might not be remember it, but there was one instance where Rodney returned home after having got married, and Del goes, Rodney, you don't live here anymore. And Rodney's like, <gasps> so he disappears. So they've replayed that with Boris. This is the conversation in number 10. Boris, you don't live here anymore. Just get out. But yeah, I, I love what he puts in horses. Love it. Uh, it's just great. But you know what is, honestly, that actually gave me a, a lot of business background to where I am because I love the hustle and bustle. I love the sale and the um, all the, everything which goes in and that sort of like going for the ultimate goal, whatever that is, if it's a million pounds, a hundred thousand, whatever. But the fun, and it's said it in the latter stages of Only Fools and Horses, the fun is the journey. When you actually hit the destination, it's almost kind of like, ah. So I just want to enjoy the journey. Yeah, just like having fun along the way. And that's why I set up the business. It was like, I want to help people on that business journey. And it took me a while to realize it, but I want that business first approach and accountancy second adoption. But rewinding a little bit to the very start when I first set up, I've got an expensive taste in cars. Oh, okay. Oh, oh this is a whole podcast in itself. Okay, no worries. Well, sorry, when I first told the wife and the parents that um, I was looking to set up a business, I'd been engaged for two weeks. I had finance on a car, and they said, and I was on a very well-paid job, and I had five clients that said, are you mad? And I said, yeah, yes, I am. And I said, I've got to do it. So the goal was, I said it there, I said, look, I'll pay the finance off on the car. We will get married, debt-free, get all that sorted, and we're going to do it. And we did. But we started off badly, if I'm honest. So, like, financially, we did everything well. But operationally, I was behind the curve with all of the technology. What year was this? When when did you set up? 2012. Okay. So, 10 years in this year. So, so still pretty fresh. Uh, I don't know. The hairline doesn't suggest it. Yeah. yeah you're not as grey as I am, though. <laughs> no, well, maybe the light's shielding it for you. And the, there's something in the UK called Just for Men. So just for a minute, that will change the colour before you know it. There's nothing in the UK for that. <laughs> well, there is actually, but it's, it's kind of, yeah. That, again, that's a separate podcast. We'll keep that offline. But yes, yeah, so, so I made the mistake of recreating the firm I first trained in. We did really well financially to start off with. But then about four years in, I was just working harder and harder and harder and the profits were just going down and down and down. And I came back from a skiing holiday, ironically, we were chatting about skiing there before, and I had a letter from a client who was then one of our biggest clients, said they were leaving us 
um, because um, they were owned by a German company. And the reason they were leaving us was because we didn't speak German. And my German, I'm not fluent in German. I will kind of, I mean, my English is barely understandable. And bear in mind, I've got hay fever today. It sounds like I'm talking through my nose. Probably is going to make this podcast even worse, but I'll keep going. That's all right. We got the technology for that. It's all right. You sound fine. <laughs> Put the subtitles on. Yeah. <laughs> so I came back from skiing, and when I got that letter, it was like a light bulb. It was like, right, I need to change something. So on a not so nice note, I made the secretary redundant. But I helped I get another job, and we're still friends today, and I've actually helped I get another job since then. So it was very amicable. But I just, by making her redundant, I automated her job role using technology within six weeks. And I was like, ooh, I'm onto something here. You're, you're relying on her on manual processes too much and, yeah. and needed to get some technology sorted out. And that six-week window changed my life. I was like, if I can do that within six weeks, I can really do something more. I then, the term I use across here in the UK, and I'm notorious for it, I then went and got software drunk. I went to all the events like ZeroCon and all that, and I fell in love with the software. I was like, oh, that looks good, that looks good. So I'll buy 20 licenses of that, 50 licenses of that because it's cheaper, blah, 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 blah. I bought all this stuff, brought it back to the team, and the team were like, what the hell are you doing? And I said, no, look, this is great. And there was just too much change. So we wasted probably about a year of getting some things really good and other things not so good. So what we got good, we got great at, but I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. But then I did recognize, like, right, we're missing a few tricks here. And all of a sudden, we're now largely technology-led rather than the business-led side, which I had initially. So I then went through an exercise called Myers-Briggs. There's DISC and other ones where I took the psychology. And I started getting it great, and that was like, oh, this is fascinating. I then started reading as well. So I don't know how many books I've read, but I love – I'll read probably at least a book a month. And I started changing the way I was approaching things. And I really slowed things down and started doing things in a far more structured way and understood the mechanics of everybody else like around me and how they spoke and how they interacted. So leading up to March 21, we were named the UK Digital Account of the Year. And it was just like, we're starting an A-list now. This is really good. Then a little old thing called COVID come along. But it was not talking about the health sort of things, but it was the best thing that could have happened to our business. So, um, sorry, I'll go back. Yeah, this was March 2020, sorry. March 2020. COVID come along. And it was the best thing that could have happened to our business because March 2020's accounts were really good. And March 21's accounts were our worst yet. A lot of it was linked down to COVID, but it also kind of rooted out for me a lot of issues within our business in terms of further inefficiencies. So we'd scaled up to be 15 staff from 10 and our overheads had grown and naturally businesses were struggling. All of our clients, bar one, were still trading. But it just kind of like said, look, you really need to get the grips of things. And um, So going back to Carbon, I recognized there was only half of our team that were really on board with Carbon. The other half weren't. But I also recruited somebody outside the profession with no accountancy experience who's actually now working with yourselves alongside us. She works two days for yourselves and three days for us. Well, I spoke to Ian about, uh, and I said, Ian, you guys need her. I said, take her for a couple of days a week. I'll keep her for three days a week, but she's amazing. Um, she's only started in um, June, but she bridges that gap between, so she's got like a computer sciences degree. So she comes from an IT background. So she helped getting get carbon functioning for us. But she also rocked the boat with some of the existing stuff where they weren't committed. But Eva doesn't hold back, she's direct. I love her for it. She's amazing. Now, at this point here, financially, we were starting to really start to feel the pinch. And I was just like, right, okay, we need to kind of get the grips with this. 
So I then started managing staff out of the business. So we went from 15 staff to 10 staff. But March 22, we broke all records with our sales. We broke all records with our profits and created capacity. So we went from our worst year in March 21 to our best year in March 22 with a third less staff. And it was by drilling into the efficiencies of the process, of the mindset, of the technology to do what we've been doing better and just everything coming together in a really, really nice way. And we've even built capacity to scale again. So that's what we're now doing without needing to recruit. But we have such an infrastructure around us there now. We're now investing a lot of time and effort to work alongside the software companies such as Carbon, such as likes of Clarity, Airpa, to try and say, look, and say, this is what we're doing well. Could we offer some input, some feedback? And could we help you guys grow your software? Because by you guys growing your software, grows us as a firm. And we're really starting to get on board with things around that. It's twofold in terms of it, but it's bloody brilliant. Feels so good when it comes together, doesn't it? <laughs> but it feels now as if it's so... I'm not saying the wheels kind of come off because the wheels can always come off, but it feels so much sturdier now with regards to what we're actually doing. And everybody's on board. It feels more robust. Yeah. But there's a structure, even in terms of change, we now have a three-step process for any change in our business. The first month has to be one of research. The second month is one of prototype. The third month is one of implementation. With that basic step with regards to change in the business, for which often is led by somebody other than me, it just kind of gets momentum significantly kind of more in, in invested within the business. I absolutely love it. It's amazing. I can I can see it in your face how, how how much it means to you that this has come together like this for you now. Well, it just allows us to build on our strengths. I mean, like it's my strength is business, not accountancy is business. I'm good at accountancy. So I passed all my exams so I can do that. But the conversations I'm having with business owners now is totally changing. So rather than chatting about backwards about information which has happened, it's about information between now and now and what could happen in the future. And we are genuinely now starting to change livelihoods rather than just meeting tax and compliance dead deadlines. And the conversations we have clients, the feelings we experience and share with clients is unbelievable. Tell us more about that. You don't have to name names. Have you got a favorite story? I think it's your favorite client. I'm going to say, stop it, Stuart. I can't do that. <laughs> well, they're, they're like kids, aren't they? There's, well, some are more equally favorite than others. <laughs> We're definitely not asking that question. <laughs> favorite child. No, 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 no. Yeah, so I'll do a, a generic piece, then I'll do a very specific piece. So the generic piece is, I will say to a business owner, right, this is where you are today. Where do you want to get to? And they say, all right, I want to get to here. Then I'll play with the figures and I'll say, right, well, you do realize you could maybe even get to here. And they go, oh, wow. Then I'll say, what would that allow you to do? And they say, all oh, right, this, that, and the other. And I say, how would that make you feel? Oh, this. Would you like us to help you get there? And it's like, yeah, let's do it then. And then you start putting into play all of the stuff which I've read in the books and the experience we've got around various things and bringing expertise around several different fields to help them get there. Now, a very specific story for um, a client who first embraced this journey. They first came to us maybe seven years ago. They came to us the records are a mess. We had to catch them three years with the records. Um, they came to us with just carrier bags of receipts. And we weren't even fully on the technology journey as such at that time. We got everything up to speed to then, as say, it was October, November 2019. I had that conversation I've just went through with you there. And I said, look, let's see where we can actually take you to. But I said, it's going to cost you a lot of money. 
But here's, here's the commitment I'm going to make. If at any point you don't see the value, I'll give you the money back. So there's my equipment. I've never given them a penny back. So to March 20, again, leading up to pre-COVID, that had a really good year. That had a record year, a really, really good year. And they started seeing the things moving. Then going to a COVID year. What sort of industry? You don't have to name the customer. No, no, it's all right. You say they're in um, basically trade, a trade, trade-related business. So they do um, like cladding and things like that. Cladding and flooring. So March 21, they broke the record of March 20. And I said, look, this is really good. Um, let's push again. March 21, they absolutely smashed the year before, totally out the park in a COVID year. Going to March 22, they've done it again. They have went from a business turning over six figure subs, maybe about 160 grand turnover, that plus a million. And I would say probably 5x of that has been over the past two, two and a half years. What was in the conversation that, that you think was the light bulb moment for them? What, what was the, the thing that flicked the switch? I think when I instilled in them the confidence in their own ability to give them the confidence in our ability to support them get there, they were like, well, okay. Because it was very much done in a structured way. They haven't went and got a whole lot of debt to do this. I haven't done any of that. Um, the only debt they took on was a, a bounce-back loan, totaled £50,000. And that was just as a safety net. It hasn't really been used at all. But I just said, look, I've got the confidence in, in you to get there because I've seen what you're capable of. It's brilliant the work you're doing. I see you've already done well. If you have the trust and confidence in me, let's see if we can scale this. And now they've bought second property in terms of rental property. They've bought a holiday cottage. Sorry, a holiday um, it's more like a cabin. They've got that there. They're on the road to get that Porsche for the other business owner. And all these things, it gives them, I mean, what I've got, I mean, I've got like a vision board here. It's like on my vision board, I want to take the kids to Florida. I want to take the kids to Lapland. I want to take them skiing every year. I want financial freedom. I want to see smiles on the, the face of the kids every single day. And I want to give them experiences, not objects. You can replace objects. You cannot replace experiences. And with that whole mentality, when I visualized that for them and instilled the confidence in themselves and the reciprocated confidence in us, they were just like, yeah, let's do this. And I do think, I think the role of an accountant has changed now. I'm really passionate about changing lives because if you do um, 30 years worth of tax returns and accounts for a client and then they cut retirement age, they cannot retire when they want with what they want. I don't consider a successful relationship if you never offered to do anything more before. Sorry, if you didn't offer to do anything more. If you offered to do some more and they kept saying no, well, ultimately that, that cannot be on you. It's like you chose no. But my job role, my responsibility is to give every business owner and every individual I come into contact with the best possible opportunity to lead the best possible life they want to lead. That's my job role. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I put all my time and effort into, as do our team, because we really care. We stand as one, we fall as one, and we share and build experiences so that every experience is one where you literally come out bouncing off the wall on a natural high, just saying, wow. That confidence in your client, that they drew on that and they knew that you were there to support them is, firstly, it's never taught in your exams, is it? Obviously. But secondly, you know, the world has changed so dramatically since since COVID. Accountants were went from compliance and tax returns Part, through advisory to psychologist to therapist to friend to distributor of stimulus funds 
and now as we come out, what I'm hearing from you, Graham, is like, you know, that journey, that relationship with your client to instill that confidence for them to just grow and be better and, and work with them in that way is an amazing impact on the world. It really is. As long as we continue to embrace it. And I think the world needs to take COVID for what it was. COVID was a lesson. And it's a lesson we should learn from and adapt and change. Don't let it be just a negative experience. Frame it in such a way to be better. Yeah, everybody's experience was different. But those that lost you know, whole families and all, all kinds of things are going to frame that differently to those that, that experience business you know, difficulty, right? But you're right. It's for those of us lucky enough to be relatively unscathed, you know, it's, and now like, you know, we we layer in some of the the, the horrific news of the world of (laughs) all kinds of things going on, right? Like it can be difficult to get out of bed and say, okay, well, you know, I can only control what I can control. I've got to ignore all these, the wars, the recessions, the interest rates, the you know, it can be difficult and people do struggle with that. But, you know, what you're saying is like, okay, within, within our ability, we can control what we can control and our to sustain mental health and be positive and, and help our clients is just one of the most, the greatest gifts that we have to use our skills to help others is, is one of the greatest things we can do, right? Yeah, totally. And I think going back a couple of steps, you mentioned health-wise and sadly those people that have lost loved ones, but the same lesson in terms of what I was saying before, I think I said they would still repeat the message of this. That alone, having lost loved ones, I'm sure they look back very fondly on the times they had with those same loved ones and wish they could have had more of those. So framing that back to a business perspective slash personal perspective, we should be adapting our business and personal lives. So we appreciate the times we have with loved ones, make the most of those and do as much as we can to build those sort of experiences which have the greatest meaning. So I think out of every horrible slash positive experience, there are lessons to channel for which we can all support one another do. I mean, one of the books I'm reading at the moment, um, I presume you might have read it because if you haven't, you've inadvertently made references to certain sections in it, is um, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Have you read that? I haven't, but I'm aware of it. Yeah, tell me. Well, there's certain... I mean, again, I could tell you any number of phrases, but I, I appreciate the time for the record. But I mean, there's certain things in that talks about control the controllables. And out of a lot of adversity has come some amazing success from generations prior. So when you actually refer back to those, we could be led by the press. We could focus on that. But instead, we can actually shape things, do the best we can with the tools we have and the circumstances we face to make a difference. So we don't have to just accept and lie down and have things happen to us. We could make things happen because of us. And whatever the circumstances, however negative that is, we still, nobody can ever take away the choice from us. And there's some examples in that book whereby, I can't remember the individual's name, but somebody was wrongly imprisoned for about 19 years. And the one thing he refused to let them do is ever take his um, freedom insofar as, like I say, his mind. So he kept his mind strong throughout that whole journey. And that's something we, we all still have. We're still fortunate enough to have that. So let's make the most of it. How do you instill those messages in your team? It starts with, ironically, listening rather than speaking. It was a lesson I learned quite a while ago because... I could be very passionate and be quite forceful in terms of my own thoughts, 
But somebody told me a long time ago, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. That sounds like something your mother would have said to the Grahams. <laughs> oh, probably, yeah. But we didn't use either ear in terms of that. But yeah, I listen to the team and then I'll challenge them. I won't necessarily accept what they say. I will push back if I feel that's right to do so, but I'll listen. And it's the same with clients. If you listen first, speak second, so much more can come from that. Team of 10 at the moment, and it sounds like you know a great set of clients, sounds like you're somebody that, that would really focus heavily on only working with people that you and the team enjoy working with and are a good fit for your business. And you're also somebody that, that will set, set out a vision and a plan, I imagine. What, what does that look like over the next couple of years? So this is fascinating because with it being our 10th birthday this year, we threw a 10th birthday party for ourselves and for our clients and also we're doing annual clients awards evening. What we did then was we shared our vision. So there's a series of videos which will be going live very soon and a professional video. So our vision is to create sustainable legacies for which ourselves as a firm and individually, our clients, friends and family thereof would be proud of. And that is built around three, I mean, there's lots of areas, but I can almost kind of segment into three for the purposes of, of this. The first one is generations. We should learn from generations in the past, because I published um, my granddad's poems um, on the awards evening, and all proceeds is going to charity. But we should learn from generations in the past to influence the generations now to then influence generations in the future. Because there's a lot of lessons. We don't need to kind of forget about the past. We've got a lot to learn. The second thing is from a business perspective, we need to recognize that we need to have a 360 viewpoint in terms of business. So let's look backwards. Let's look here, but then let's look forward. Then let, also let's look all around us. Let's look outside, necessarily just our area of expertise, bring other things in to really kind of help. The third thing is from a 360 viewpoint, which again is the theme of a lot of what we do, we need to look outside of ourselves insofar as let's make this world a better place. So again, it's one of the things and one of the vision I said at the end was, I want to help build better business and personal lives. And ultimately, I want to leave this world in a better place than the state it was in when I arrived in it. How does that manifest? Like, is, is that a number of clients? Is it a type of clients? Is it a type of staff? Is it, or do you think that the, the abstract vision will... It will allow you to just sort of be, you know, wherever that takes you. The types of clients that you work with, as long as they fit that, the build of great to work with and have that, that are amenable to your influence, to your skills, you know, that you may as well apply your capacity to people who want to utilize it, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we're still building this out a little bit, but our three core clients where we try to focus our efforts on are trade and trade related businesses because we have experience of them. And typically we want ones where they've got at least a couple of members of the team. So they want to scale. The next one is service-based business, but typically professional service-based businesses that actually support the professional industry, such as accountants. And the third one is technology businesses, because again, we work so closely with them, we've got expertise around it. So that's the types of businesses we want to actually kind of uh, work with. And at this moment in time, we've then extended that out with a three-year forecast. We haven't went beyond that yet, because we're just starting to scale up in terms of where that's going to be. So we want to, we say, multiply threefold within three years. Yeah, so 30 staff-ish. No, threefold in terms of figures. I don't think we need to do it in terms of staff. So because of the capacity we've created, um, we believe certainly within the next year, we may not need to recruit because of the extra capacity we've created. I suspect that within the next three years, and again, we still need to 
dovetail the operational bits when we kind of find out a bit more detail. I don't think we'll need to multiply with staff by three. At best, I would say maybe another 50%. I think we could do with that because of efficiencies we're finding. And what we're tending to do, we're tending, and this sounds terrible when I say we're chopping, but because we know more of our niche, we're trying to do more with the right sort of clients and realising we are moving away from some of our original clients who will be a better fit for other firms. So we work with other fits, other firms to obviously pass those across. What a generous person you are, giving them the, your clients. the. Uh, but but you got to do it. you got to do it. You, you This is a, a theme that we see with uh, the people that I talk to that demonstrate the passion for your for the business like you do that the love for their clients the the joy that they experience going to work are the ones that focus very heavily on on just having clients that they enjoy working with and in order to do that there's there's perhaps not an annual cull, but there's at least a sort of every two year cull of clients that that no longer fit the bill of where you're where you want to take the firm, right? So some of them even embrace that as a ritual and um, have an annual uh, off-cast party or however you want to call it, right? <laughs> but life's too short, so I think that honesty and that transparency is what's really needed. And I think with that in mind, it happens everywhere else. So I just kind of think, why the heck? Let's just kind of just do that. And life's too short. And this is what I say. I think as long as it's done honestly, so what I say to clients, I say, look, with where we're going and where we can add influence, naturally we're restricted resources-wise as you are time and money. I don't feel as I can serve you the way I once did, so it would be disrespectful of me to say that I can. However, I'm not just passing somebody I don't know. This firm, I think, are a similar... They've got a similar vision to us insofar as how they treat their clients. So if I was a client and I was with us, I would go with them too. But at least that way... But then also the client has a choice. But it just means we can focus our efforts. It's... I know it's, if we use it as a comparison, but it's not totally fair. But And it goes back to uh, carbon, actually. The whole triage functionality. With the triage functionality, you cannot save everybody necessarily. And so we've got to be fair and be reasonable, but, but give everybody a chance to be saved. Oh, I like that. I might use that. There you go. <laughs> we'll put that in our marketing. There's so much more to cover. Let's let's do the cars quickly. I'll have to jump off about what I've asked you. Just a word of warning, just time-wise, otherwise I'll be in bother for my next meeting. No, no, no. Let, let's do another couple here because I, lo- I love the way, the passion that you uh, talk about uh, the, the firm with and your clients. What's um, favourite car, Go? Oh, favourite car. Very good question. It was an Aston Martin until I drove one and realised the build quality is really poor. So I am going to go for a Range Rover, Range Rover Vogue. Lovely car. Oh, there you go. Like a newish one or like an 80s, sort of the, the rectangular 80s one? <laughs> I'm not having the box. No, no. no I'm not having that. You know, the, the, the one that is said, they've made it like really fashionable. One of those there now. Yeah, the comfort, the speed. Oh, yes. The massage seats and everything. <laughs> Are you just be asleep? Just like, oh, I've got to drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to go Range Rover. Actually, I'm going to flip that around. Same to you, though. I'm going to ask you the same question. Favourite car? Probably, well, controversial view. You know, I, I think I drive a Tesla Plaid at the moment, right? So not to 100 k's, 60 miles in less than two seconds. Fastest th- legal thing on the road. I've used it twice. My kids get car sick in it. It's the stupidest car that um, I've ever had. It's also the most fun, you know, like I've had uh, people in the passenger seat just, 
<laughs> freak out at the pace that you get. I love it. I completely believe in the in in cars going uh, green and electric and all that. But I reckon there's going to be some nostalgia over the coming years for combustion engines. So I'm going to say like a, a late early eighties. 9-11 with a whale tail or something like that, you know, just something, you know, mid-six, raw energy, all of that kind of thing, I reckon. So what, like the one at the command door? The yellow one at the command door? Yep, that one. Yeah, the yellow with yellow or, or pale blue with a huge whale tail out the back and I want to say five-speed, you know, stick and all of that. I, I just, you know, just something that was built just to be a car. There's not much electrics in it. It's just to be driven, right? Like just properly driven. <laughs> and I think the industry has sort of forgotten about, or you know, that feeling. But um, I love my, I love my plaid. I do. I'll probably buy another one when the lease is up. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have a look. What? I, I can't even visualize. It. I'll have to have a look after this. I'm gonna have a look later on. It's the Tesla S, but it's the plaid mode, which is after lunatic mode or something like that. Which is, I have to drive it in chill mode. You know, ninety nine percent of the time. Otherwise, my my kids get car sick and <laughs> throw up all over the leather. You know. <laughs> but um, my wife's got the Defender because we live in. Uh, in Quine Village, which we actually get to use the proper four-wheel drive in winter. <laughs> well, Graham, we've we've got so many more podcasts with the topics that have have come up in our time together today. I, I, I so much appreciate you sharing uh, your vision and and thoughts on the industry as well as um, you know where your business is going. The the I love the aspects of sharing that you know your client's journey with us, and and I'd love to do more of that. Um, very, very soon if we can. We could do 10 podcasts. Count me in. I love these sort of things, Stuart. Next time, I'm going to keep more space to one side as well because, as I say, I could chat for England. I'll, I'll chat for the world on this. England, US, Australia, count me in. Get me the T-shirt and I'll be flying the flag. <laughs> so we've got T-shirts to give. I'll make sure we get you one up there. Graham Tenick, thank you so much for joining us on the Accounting Leaders Podcast today. Thank you very much for having us, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.